We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cause we the hottest things on the market I know you can't finish it So don't even start it Uh I got you right where I want you Sean. You're listening to Buzzbeat Radio Your premier Charlotte Hornets show Now broadcasting with your host Richie and Spencer Alright, welcome in Emergency uh, Injury show here We're going to talk about the Nick Batum injury What it means for the Hornets Who's going to step in Talk about some lineups. You know our man BG is going to have some good stats for you guys. So just trying to fill everybody in uh, on the latest. Uh, we are Buzzbeat Radio. I am Spencer, joined by Brian Geisinger of Sports Channel 8 and my good friend Richie Randall of QueenCityHoops.com uh, and Buzzbeat Radio. Do not forget, we are a member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network uh, and a good friend of Sports Channel 8, uh, which I really enjoyed following them the other night, BG. Uh, as that NC State game was going on, a game that I think a lot of people in Raleigh didn't think that they were going to win, and, and uh, you can't you can't blame them. They've been let down a lot in the past, yeah. but they pull it out. Sports Channel Eight did a nice job with the coverage of that game, uh, and it's Saturday now, so you should be tuned in to Sports Channel Eight as ACC football kicks off for another weekend. All right, uh, are we ready to dig in here? Let's just jump right in. Let's do it. All right, so <clears throat> Batum. Um, Actually, I was tipped off on this, and uh, we broke the news. Queen City Hoop broke the news um, just yesterday. Nick Batum does have a torn uh, UCL ligament in his left elbow. Um, The extent of the tear, uh, something we probably won't know for sure. Don't expect that information to leak, but what we do know is that the ligament is torn. Um, in, In baseball, you see this a lot. This injury means Tommy John surgery. Uh, for baseball pitchers, this could be anywhere from six months to a full year in recovery. Now, it's different with a guy like Nick Batum because he doesn't have that overhand throwing motion um, going on. So it, it, the Hornets are looking at rehab. Um, it is certainly on the table. It is a medical practice that has been used in athletes with this injury uh, that, again, are not using that overhand throwing motion. I would expect the Hornets probably to elect rehab when it's all said and done, but there is an inherited risk there. Um, you know, the Charlotte rushed back Michael K. Gilchrist a few seasons ago. If, if fans remember that, he re-injured that same shoulder um, and had to have surgery all over again. So the Hornets should, should know the risk here, but they are going to 
um, explore rehab over surgery. And if they do that, it's unlikely Batum is going to miss the full season. That eight to 12 week time frame uh, is pretty accurate uh, that you guys have heard. Uh, but if he does do surgery, he will, in all likelihood, as reported by me at the very beginning, in all likelihood, he will be out for the entire season. So the Hornets are still trying to decide exactly how they're going to uh, approach what they're going to do to get Batum healthy. On that note, um, Richie, your reactions uh, when you first heard about this, it's just its just kind of this team's luck, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, we were recording the the live show when it happened. We didn't know about it probably until after the live show to hear that Nick Batum was injured. Yeah, it, it sucks. And considering the fact that Nick Batum decided to stay here in Charlotte over the, uh, over the summer instead of playing with France uh, over in Europe... Uh, you know, he wanted to dedicate this season to the franchise and wanted to take the, the summer off. And, the, you know, the ironic thing is, is he played less basketball over the summer. And then the first thing that happens, uh, game two of preseason, he gets injured. So, yeah, when I first heard the news, it, it was definitely, um, definitely depressing, definitely depressing. And then obviously when we heard that it was going to be for an extended period of time, uh, even worse. So we're now having to look at the lineup to see where we go from here and you talked about it. It's an uncommon injury among uh, basketball players. And the fact that it's in his left elbow, maybe the rehab process could be uh, the way to go. I mean, we don't want to rush him back. That's that's obviously uh, not ideal. But, you know, it's not like a pitcher where you're, you're using that arm over and over again, making passes and stuff like that. So the good thing is if maybe if it was his right elbow, uh, rehab would probably take a little bit longer. So, yeah, it, it's not good news. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, having something like this, you're, you're getting excited for the season. There's there's a lot of, you know, good vibes around the team, positive buzz heading into the season. You know, Eastern Conference looks weak. You're, you're thinking the Hornets, if, if all things go right, could could win in the upper 40s a number of games this season. And then to have the, the I think unquestionably the third best player on the roster at that guy and a guy that plays a very important role as far as helping run the offense and another guy that gives them another double being second on the team in scoring last season too. And to think that you might lose a guy like that for a quarter of the season or, or longer or whatever is, is brutal. Think, even think of the best team in the league. If you took the third best player off the floor for the warriors, I mean, even they would, well, maybe not them, but basically anybody <laughs> but the warriors, if you take the third best player off the, off the floor for them, I mean, it's going to cause issues all over the place. And with the kind of the concerns with depth at point guard and at the wing, I mean, guys, we were expecting Nick Batum to play 30, 32 minutes a game, give him shooting from the wing and then also be potentially the de facto second point guard because we weren't sure what mm-hmm. we were going to get with Carter Williams, Julian Stone, et cetera, when, when Kemba sat and just so much of the offense with the, that Clifford runs goes through, you know, goes through Batum, those wide weak side pin downs that we've seen a thousand times, the, the pick and roll dribble handoff game with Zeller, those guys have incredible chemistry in that. And as a secondary creator next to Kemba, and you just think of all those plays, all those possessions, literally thousands of them uh, over the course of a season. And you just, it, it makes you a little queasy thinking about not having that, that sort of cog in the rotation. So yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, you know, we can probably talk about some of the finances about why it is risky to to not go the surgery route and stuff like that too. But uh, yeah, it, it it was certainly a bummer for for the Hornets and especially for Nick Batum. 
Exactly. I mean, especially for Nick Batum, a guy who, you know, kept himself out of international play this summer um, so that he could really, you know, get his body right, um, work out all summer, stay in Charlotte. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, from an NBA fan perspective, <laughs> it seems like he was doing all the right things to get himself ready to go for the Hornets this upcoming season. Um, not all the France international fans w- would agree with that statement, but, um, you know, I, th- I think that, I think it's just so disappointing when you see a guy make a sacrifice, um, you know, something that we've talked about in the past, really wanting to see more from him, you know, see more of a want to factor from a guy like Nick Batum. He shows it this off season and, and you get this. I mean, it's just so unfortunate. It makes you feel terrible for him. So you hope that that timeline's as short as possible. Brian, you, you brought it up too there at the end of what you were saying is, you know, the cost factor, the financial uh, factor here, uh, you know, the Hornets are owed Nick Batum over the next four seasons, you know, starting in this coming season, uh, about a hundred million dollars. So, you know, you have to treat this situation very, very delicate. This is not just another Hornets guy, um, important rotational piece that, that they need to figure out how they're going to handle medically. I mean, when you're talking about a hundred million dollars, they have more money committed to him than any other player on this roster uh, yeah. right now. So this is a very unique situation, not only in the actual injury is unique, but then the situation and the finances and the amount of years are all wrapped up in, into this. So, um, you know, on that topic, I guess let's stay there for a second before we get into the lineups and what it all means on the court. I mean, if Brian, if you're, you know, if you're the front office, um, let's say you're Michael Jordan here. I mean, what is your, your approach? If the doctor says, okay, we can do rehab. How careful are you with Nick Batum though? Man, it's so tough. Like I, I, I usually in these situations want to lean, especially I, I want to lean towards, you know, the, the player's perspective, and I want to be, be protect that guy as much as I possibly can. I, I know the Hornets want, want to be a playoff team this year. And so maybe that creates some sort of organizational uh, urgency to get Batum mm-hmm. back. But you not only do you have a ton of money tied up in this guy, yeah, this is also his livelihood and stuff too. So I usually breed caution in these, these sorts of situations and, and would want to be careful. And I, you know, look, I, I'm far from a doctor and this is probably, there's probably some sort of perception bias here too, but I feel like surgery is in, in, in a longer recovery is usually the better way to go as opposed to rushing a guy back and, and, and hoping three, two, two and a half, three months from now that, you know, he's going to be okay. Basketball is a really physical game. And maybe this was a freak injury. I've never heard of a UCL injury before, certainly in the context of basketball. So I would, I would read caution, but I can see why, this team because Batum is so important and this is a team that's clearly in a, Hey, we're, we are competing now, even though we're on the hook for almost a hundred million dollars over the next four years with that fourth year being uh, a player option that I'm sure Batum at the age of, you know, 32 or whatever will pick up and uh, 27 million. So I would, I would breed cautions because this is an expensive asset if you want to look at it like that too but um you know i can see why they feel the need to try to get this guy back because he's so important to literally everything they do i think the point of view from a fan is that they want him out there as quick as possible because he is so important to this team Uh, he brings a lot to this team we are paying him a lot of money so you can look at it both ways do you want to preserve this guy or, or okay we're paying him a lot of money now he's having to miss a whole season type of deal but it's one of those things like if he goes through rehab comes back in eight to 12 weeks, um, and then he re-injures it, uh, 
then yeah. then then it's worse. Then it's worse. Then you almost have to elect to go with surgery uh, to make sure that you actually fully clean this thing up on his on his left uh, left elbow. And one of the things with Batum, when he comes off those screens a lot, you would think that he's bumping and elbows a lot. So I, I just rehab scares me a little bit. I get it. We want him on the court. He's very important, but I think. From our point of view, uh, maybe a little bit more level-headed point of view, I think it makes more sense to take the time with him. Um, you know, the season was promising from the, from the get-go. Everyone was healthy, uh, but right now it, it doesn't it doesn't look as promising. But I think that we just need to consider that uh, this guy's livelihood, like you said, Brian. Yeah, and let me just throw in one more thing too. I would be worried if he came back re-injured it, then had to have surgery, mm-hmm. and, you know, that delays him until, you know, he wouldn't be ready to go at the start of next season, and then the concern for me is the front office gets panicky mm-hmm. and makes some sort of, you know, win-now trade, you know, where you give up one of the few future first-round picks this team has to go get someone to be slightly above replacement-level, you know, shooting guard for the Hornets, just so you have some sort of stopgap uh, between when Batum could potentially come back. I just... That's not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's a lot of risk here, especially because it could, you know, it 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 could be a sunk cost that also impacts future uh, roster moves, which Mm -hmm. is a little scary. All right. So what it means for the Hornets on the floor, uh, Steve Clifford tells us after practice yesterday that Jeremy Lamb will become the starting. Um, two guard in the place of Nick Batum. So now you're looking at a Kimball Walker, Jeremy Land, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, Dwight Howard in all likelihood uh, as your new starting lineup. Um, you know, we text about it as a group a little bit yesterday. I think there's some pretty clear concerns that we'll dive into. Um, but I, I went and dug actually a little bit this morning. Um, on a few lineup numbers, um, and there's noise and all this stuff, BG, as you know, well, uh, of two man lineups. Um, I thought this was the most interesting nugget I came across of two man lineups for the Hornets last season that played at least 300 minutes together. Uh, Jeremy Lamb and Kimball Walker had an offensive efficiency uh, of 114 and a half. That was the highest of any, uh, that was the highest of any two man lineup Charlotte had. They played at least 300 minutes. That is very much a positive. And, and I don't think like there still will be a lot of guys. It will still be offense on the floor. That starting five, Jeremy Lamb's a scorer. Kimball Walker, obviously a scorer. Like they'll be able to get points. How efficiently they get there is a different conversation. Um, the one thing I would say about that two man lineup stat, I just threw out a lot of those minutes were played with Frank Kaminsky on the floor. The, the vast majority of them, um, you know, we've talked about in the past, what Frank does is he stands at the three-point line, doesn't make that shot a lot, but what he does is just create that space. That's yeah. important for, for guards like Lamb and Walker to be able to get into the sweet spot of the defense and make stuff happen. So how does that number change now that Dwight Howard's um, you know, setting up shop down there on the basket and, and squeezing some of that space? Uh, but I found that interesting, Brian. Yeah, I did too. There was a lineup, there was a five-man lineup last season that was uh, Kemba Walker, Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky, uh, MKG, and Lamb. Only played 33 minutes together last season, but uh, I mean the the immediate numbers are are really impressive. 125 points per 100 possessions, which would be you know the number one offense in the league by by a mile. And they only gave up 90 points per 100 possessions for a net of I mean of nearly 35 points plus, positive 
per 100 possessions. And that's a lineup, too, that, you know, you just mentioned this. You have Kaminsky's spacing, but, you know, as far as the, your two wings, they're Lamb and MKG. Yeah. MKG is allergic to three-pointers, and Lamb's a guy that's shot under, under 30%. Um, but so that's where Frank's shooting becomes really, really important. And that's where you also see having a guy like Zeller that can, it's, it's an expert screener mm-hmm. and having a guy like Kemba that can shoot it to 27 feet like that, that makes it flow, but that should that, like, see, it's nice to see a lineup that had two sort of like negative shooting three point wings that did really well offensively. And again, it's one of those lineups that with Kaminsky and Zeller that we've talked about a bunch that did really well together last season too. Again, with Dwight, it's maybe not as smooth of a, of a fit because the, the team's just going to play. You know, it's not going to be quite as fast and stuff like that, too. So uh, it's, it's it is interesting to dive to dive into some of the numbers with Lamb sort of in place of Batum, but it's also you know it's tough too, man. Like the last season, the Hornets are just better with Batum on the court. They scored more points per possession with Batum on the floor, they shot a higher, uh, uh, a better percentage, 55% true shooting with him on. And they of course assist on a higher percentage of their field goals made with Batum on the, on the floor. And as far as Kemba goes too, there's no one on the roster that Kemba passed to more frequently last season than Batum. Uh, 31% of this guy's total passes went to Batum, uh, Marvin 21 and percent, Frank 13 and percent too. So it's, you know, it's it, it's going to be a big miss, but maybe there's some positive signs with Lamb that you can try to build around at least that first quarter of the season while Nick recovers. And I think some positives. I watched. I went back and watched the Detroit game, and if you guys don't know, you can find a stream out there. Uh, I think it was live stream. Did Pistons put one on through their Facebook and their website? So I was able to watch it last night, and they came out with that lineup: Kimba, Lamb, MKG, Marvin, and Dwight to start the third quarter, uh, and that was probably their best quarter. They came out with a lot of defensive intensity, forced a lot of turnovers. So you know. With Monk in there, obviously he's going to create a little bit more offense, but I think, you know, as bad as uh, Lamb can be on defense, I think he's more capable on that end of the court. So I think there are some positives that you can see with Lamb on the court. Yes, the offense is going to look a little bit different. It's going to slow down. Uh, There was this one play where he literally dribbled for eight seconds coming off the screen, not knowing what to do. But he he actually made made the shot. But, I mean, he looked good in that third quarter. That was probably his best quarter. And he actually played, to me, he's played the best out of anyone this preseason in my mind. And so I guess one thing that you can do with Lamb, and we've talked about this prior Um, you can send mkg up and transition a little bit more often because he does have that defensive rebounding if if dwight doesn't grab it lamb's going to be right there and he can handle the ball i'd rather i'd rather lamb grab it than dwight than you know take away that extra pass and just get up the four you know the offense will look different he's not the perfect defender but i think he's better than monk so I, i do see the positives there and obviously he's more polished more experienced so i can see why clifford went that route yeah, I think you guys bro- both brought up the, the most important points and talk about Jeremy Lamb and how he fits with this uh, starting unit. The first thing uh, is the passing, Brian. We were texting about it yesterday. I mean, all of a sudden, I think the Hornets are uh, now void uh, of really any uh, really good passers in the starting unit. I would think Marvin Williams is the only one that maybe is above average. Uh, then you got Kimba, Lamb, Michael K. Gilchrist, Dwight Howard. I mean, I think those guys are all at best average, probably all below average for their position. So, you know, getting the ball moving from side to side, uh, making the defense work 
uh, I think is going to be difficult for the Hornets now with that new starting unit. Um, But, you know, Jeremy Lamb can score, Kimball Walker can score. So I think to be able to get points, uh, I think you're going to have to work a lot harder for them and they're going to have to make tougher shots. I mean, I think that this is an offense that could use uh, 20 plus seconds of the shot clock more than any coach in the NBA would probably like to do. But uh, I mean, you know, they just they don't have anybody to throw it to that can really just go get him a bucket. Uh, Jeremy Lamb certainly, I think, has the mentality that he can do that, but yeah. uh, I'm not sure that he's ready to do that on a consistent basis. Um, you know, the one thing that really scares me offensively about all this is you know, take out Batum, a guy who really helps you move the ball from side to side, is a creator, can score, it can do a lot of different things, creative offensive player, and plug a guy like Jeremy Lamb in. Does this? is the equivalent of those two factors become Dwight Howard seeing more post touches in uh, in an isolation manner. You know, I don't, I don't know the answer. My gut tells me maybe uh, just because I think it's the Hornets are just going to have to work really, really hard for offense now uh, with this new lineup. That's something to watch. I think Uh, Richie, you touched on it defensively. You know, I I think that it's well-documented. Lamb has struggled defensively, especially with his consistency in the past. He's capable. He's got a long wingspan. He can move his feet when he wants to. Um, You know, his position on the floor and knowing where the ball is, knowing where his man is, it's it's really those kind of things that that have bit him uh, in the past. You know, but now you you plug him into the starting unit around a bunch of above-average defenders. I mean, Kimball Walker is probably the only one average defender at his position, but Michael K. Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, and Dwight Howard, I mean, now he's around a stout uh, defensive lineup. You know, does that make his job easier? And, you know, is that same effect we've talked about uh, for K. Gilchrist now with playing next to Dwight? You know, is he able to focus less on help always knowing where the ball is always being all the way on the helpline you know his positioning when he's not guarding the ball being so important is that less important now with a guy like Dwight where Lamb can really focus on guarding the ball um, getting in passing lanes which he's good at doing with his wingspan you know those kind of things where I think he affects the defensive end uh, the most so it, it'll be interesting I think offensively I'm less optimistic about the fit with him in the, in the starting mm-hmm. lineup but defensively I'm actually kind of optimistic about how he can impact the game well let's not act like Batum is this world-class defender so it's not like we're dropping off tremendously here yeah that's that's a good point it's a uh, it's interesting too so we uh we talked about this a little bit on the live show and I actually tweeted uh was tweeting about this a couple of days ago actually right around right before the Batum uh, injury news broke. But so we were looking at just how good Cody and Kemba were together. And this was within the context of why, you know, they, the Hornets need to find as many minutes as possible for Cody and Kemba as opposed to Dwight or whatever, because these guys were so good last season. So Cody and Kemba played a little over 1500 minutes combined together last season. Hornets scored 110 points per 100 possessions gave up less than 103 points per 100 possessions. That net of, of plus 7.5 points was the, the best of any two-man combo on the roster that played at least 1,000 minutes together. It was number 10 in the Eastern Conference, too. But so what's interesting is um, of those 1,500 minutes that Charlotte played with Cody and Kemba together on the floor last season, about 1,300 of them uh, uh, came with Nick Batum on the court, too. Uh, in those minutes, Charlotte scored 109.7 points per 100 possessions and gave up 103.1 points per 100 possessions. Uh, That 6.6 plus net, best of any three-man combo that played at least 1,000 minutes for the Hornets last season. 
it, it's the rate of a top five offense, a top five defense. And that was good for amongst three man combo groups for number eight in the Eastern conference in terms of net rating too. So yeah, you know, Batum, it, it, there's big shoes to fill for lamb. If it is just a sort of plug and chug, putting him into the starting lineup. So we'll see, we'll see how it happens. Yeah. And another point I wanted to make BG a really important um, stat. You just threw out there about Batum, uh, Zeller and Kemba. Uh, it's fascinating, not surprising. Um, but one more point I wanted to make about Richie, you talked about it earlier, you know, <clears throat> Lamb being such a good defensive rebounder. And it got me thinking like, well, Lamb's not only is a good defensive rebounder, but he's a grab and go type of player. Um, you know, there unlocks a way to get Kimball Walker off the ball, um, a lot more with this starting lineup, allowing him to maybe get up the floor and use some early pin down floppy action to maybe get some, some shots and, and catch and shoot situations off the ball, which We've, we've talked about it a lot before. He was phenomenal in catch and shoot situations last season, about 48%. So, you know, it does lamb become your nominal point guard in, in certain situations when he can get on the glass, um, you, you know, catch that ball and go with it. And not only does it get Kimba off the ball, but I think it does create what this starting five unit uh, is going to struggle at the most. And that's early offense. If he can grab and go, mm-hmm. Kimba can get out. Michael K. Gilchrist can get out. Um, you know, you can, it, Marvin even can get out. Uh, you, you can explore ways of getting early offense that way. So I think it's a really important point you made about how good of a defensive rebounder he is. I think it unlocks some stuff that this offensive lineup is going to need. And I think if they plan on being a top five, top 10 defense, they're going to get a lot of stops with that, that starting unit. So yeah, we got to turn those misses into transition offense. And I don't think Kimba has any problem with lamb taking that ball up the court so he can get up ahead of the, ahead of everyone else. So yeah, I think that does unlock some possibilities there. Something that you wouldn't have with monk. I don't think that MKG could leak up the court uh, if monk was on the court. So with this, with this new starting lineup with lamb, that's, that's, that's where we can kind of take advantage of that, you know, his strength on the defensive boards. We and we all know too that you know it's empirically proven shots taken earlier in the shot clock they go in more often than shots taken at the end of the shot clock too, which is one of the reasons why you know a Dwight Howard post up with four and a half seconds left in the shot clock is a disaster, but a Kemba Walker three in semi transition six seconds into the shot clock now that's a pretty now that's a much better look. And um, yeah, it's interesting too. Uh, Kemba shot slightly worse on three pointers uh, with with Nick off the court last season. Dropped from about thirty nine and a half percent to thirty eight percent, which is you know certainly not a huge drop off because Kemba was unbelievable mm-hmm. shooting last season. But it does take away in maybe Lamb like you got like Spencer was hitting on Lamb with some of this early offense action and being the sort of de facto point guard. Maybe you can still sort of have these these pet sets. But some of those, some of that awesome off-ball action for Kemba last season, Batum was usually the facilitator with it. So that, that's big yep. shoots for, um, you know, we, we, we talked about this play a couple times recently, but the Kemba splits it to Batum up top. He cuts down to the, the elbow, and then it, would, it was usually Frank. It would, you know, be Marvin conceivably now setting that flare uh, in from the wing so Kemba could flip out for the, the catch-and-shoot three, and it's something we saw them run. A, a lot last season maybe could have even done it more we'll have to see if lamb can can uh, be the facilitator in, in in that sort of action though because it's he's not quite the same um you know he's a good pick and roll player but he's not the same sort of pick and roll player and connector that batum is 
You know, it, it's interesting, and and that's a good point, Brian, because you know Clifford talked yesterday when he told the media that hey, yeah, Lamb is going to be our starting guard, and you know when asked well, what's Lamb, you know what's the expectation for Lamb now being in that starting lineup, Clifford very simply just kind of said like I want him to do what he does best. He didn't really go into detail with that, but. He kind of said, like, uh, you know, players got to play to their strengths. And your point is that's not really Lamb's strength. So, you know, are we going to be able to capitalize uh, on Lamb's defensive rebounding ability and asking him to be, uh, like you said, that de facto kind of point guard that Batum was so good at being? I mean, that's probably not a fair expectation. But I I think we did have the important conversation. Like, if Dwight Howard doesn't yell at Jeremy Lamb every time he comes for a defensive rebound— um, you know, and, and, and we are able to maybe capitalize on, even if lamb is just catching it and pitching it up, right? Like right. that still has a lot of value. I mean, good gosh, Jason Kidd became one of the greatest point guards of all time because he learned to pitch the ball up the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if Jeremy lamb can just simply use that, maybe create some more opportunities for kid Gilchrist, um, crashing at the rim, you know, maybe, maybe that has some value, but, but I think the ultimate point is the Hornets going to have to find some ways to create early offense with this group because it's going to be hard to find an oasis um, in the half court sets for this, this five to me. Um, I don't see how they consistently create early offense. It's going to, it's going to dry up quickly uh, in, in the shot clocks for this group, unless Kimball Walker can be a superhero. So, all right, well let's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, who do you guys think the injury to Batum, like, is there an individual player, which guy do you think, the injury impacts the most if you get isolated to just one guy is it Kemba do you think or is oh, it on the negative end on the negative end you're saying yeah like that it would make it's going to make it's going to make their life more challenging basically and in terms of it it'll see it'll cause them to to see a dip perhaps statistically too I think it's a good question I think probably Kemba yeah yeah um, so I, I think it's probably just it'll make Kemba's life more challenging but I think it's – I actually think it might be Zeller. Uh, just looking at some of the other stuff too, like Zeller shot uh, 59% field goal percentage with Nick on the court last season. That dropped to 47% once uh, Batum left the court. Um, and, you know, look, there's probably some noise in that too, but they're a great pick-and-roll combination. Uh, Zeller played more minutes with Kemba but he actually received more passes from Nick Batum, uh, 413 passes, 35% of the total passes Zeller received came from, uh, Nick Batum and Zeller shot 60% uh, from the field after those passes from Nick Batum, 89 of Batum's 456 assists went to Cody. That was, uh, more Batum assisted Zeller more than anyone else on the entire roster last season too. So that's something else to watch. And, you know, with some of the second lineups you were going to see this season, I thought we would get to see some Batum Zeller playing with one another. Um, you know, as they staggered those minutes with with Cody and, and Nick a little bit, and you know, those that sort of that's just kind of out the window now, which is a bummer too. Yeah, yeah. no, I yeah. I mean, well, I think it's important, BG. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think it, I think it's important, BG, because. Yeah, I can see how it makes Zeller's life tougher. But like now, to your point about staggering with Kimba and Nick, now that Nick's not in there, do like how how does this work now? Are you are we staggering? You know, are we staggering Lamb and Kimba? I mean, is that are we at? Is where we're at, or is like does it mean that Monk is really going to have to play some backup point guard, or Julian Stone is going to have to inherit like a chunk of minutes 
every game. Like, I don't know how Cliff handles this now. I, I don't know that we're ready to say that Jeremy Lamb, we need to stagger him and Kimba. You know what I mean? So I guess it means it's just a trickle-down effect to, like, where Stone's getting minutes every game. And yeah. you're, it's just, like, point guard by committee kind of. Um, but it, it's interesting. I, I don't know how much – I guess my point is I don't know how much Lamb and Zeller are really going to play together. They were good yeah. together last year. But, like, That's to me, it, it makes it tougher – like, I don't know where Dwight Howard fits. Like, I, I get really, really frightened when I think about Dwight Howard now fitting with this starting group. Like, the spacing all of a sudden became – like, he was already going to be in the way um, yeah. to an extent for the group before Batum got hurt. But now, like, Lamb, I think you you now have less floor spacing. Um, at least the stats tell you that. Uh, and I just don't know where Dwight Howard hides on the floor for if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. I mean – you know, unless he really buys in, like we've said, to set, you know, getting in those pick and roll actions, getting his butt to the elbow and, you know, using DHOs and, and things like that to get involved. But I don't know. I'm just not optimistic about him buying into that. And I don't know where you hide him offensively. He's just going to he's just going to create waste space and he's going to pull up more defenders around the rim. Yeah. The only thing I was going to say to the point earlier, Brian, about who it affects more, um, you know, Batum and Zeller played very well together. Batum and Kemba played very well together. But I guess this year, with Zeller moving to the bench, I don't know how much of Batum and Zeller would have seen the court together uh, all that often anyway. You know, obviously with those second lineups like you were talking about, we want to see them together. So I think to answer your question, I think it will affect Kemba more than it would affect Zeller. What's interesting when you're talking about Spencer, like what's how is this going to affect the second rotations or the staggering of the lineups? Something that I saw, uh, yeah, last night when I rewatched the Detroit game, they were playing Marvin at the three a couple of times, and I don't know yeah, how I feel about that. I'm not crazy about it, but you're. I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see it happen. I think it almost has to happen. Unfortunately, I, I agree, and. <laughs> You know, with this Batum injury, you know, does it bring into play where Clifford is like, look, we, we got to go old school here. I just I don't have enough guards that I trust now. Uh, we, I'm going to slide Marvin to the three. Cody's going to get in there, and play the four next to Dwight at five. And that like does this crack like does the door crack a little bit more open to the to the uh, the Bass Brothers experiment with with right. Zeller and D12 sharing the floor? I mean, I think you have to say yes, because, again, like we're just so thin on guards and wings at this point. Like how there's unless Julian stone again, like unless he's getting minutes or Dwayne Bacon, one of them has to get consistent minutes to start the season. You would think with Batum's injury, uh, there's just no way around it unless you're going to have an eight man lineup, you know? So that's where I think like Marvin will have to, he will yeah. have to play the three. The team was already going to ask Malik Monk to do a lot this year. And now it, they're, they're going to put even more on this dude's plate probably in the first, uh, at least the first, you know, mm-hmm. 25 or 33% of the season. That's, I don't know. It's tough to ask a lot from a rookie, but yeah, know, I guess. Especially one that's not really in game shape right now. So, I mean, I yeah. I think out of Lamb and Monk, we talked about this in our text messages. I think I would prefer Monk. I think there's some things that he can unlock that's a, a little bit different than what Lamb doesn't provide. And, you know, he creates the spacing with his shooting. You know, obviously, the defense is a question mark with him and playing with Kemba. But again, when he's surrounded by MKG, Marvin, and Dwight, uh, it makes me feel a little bit better about that. Uh, instead of placing him on the bench unit with Kaminsky, uh, where who's just god awful on, on defense, uh, John Luer beat him so so often uh, uh, well, so in, in Detroit. Wisconsin? Wisconsin in the house, baby. Yeah, Lord, yeah. Going at uh, Kaminsky there. We got all the uh, 
the gangly white guys out yep. there. He would take he would take one dribble and he would already be be two steps ahead of Kaminsky. It was ridiculous. Like he cannot keep yeah. up. So I, I think Monk placing him around the defensive minded players in the starting lineup. I think it could I think it could work. And uh, Brian, you kind of were talking about it. Uh, we were talking about it last night on Twitter. I showed you that video of where a great Kim, line by you. Yeah, Campbell ran off a screen of Job, and then he came back back into the middle off of Dwight. And there's all these bodies going towards the rim, so there's a lot of collapsing with Kemba driving, you know, Dwight in there, and then Monk kind of just kind of slid up to the elbow, and he was wide open, and then they all had to, you know, go, you know, run out there, close out, and then he beat the man off the dribble for a dunk. So I can see where that could work. Pride of Concord, North Carolina, and Wake Forest legend Ish Smith was guarding Monk on that play. And he bumped down mm-hmm. uh, to stop Dwight. And by the time he got back out there, I mean, Monk smoked him off the dribble. Dwight may have gotten away with a move. He was just kind of just holding Boban under the basket for the Pistons. Uh, but it did give uh, Malik a clear path for the uh, the slam. But that's the sort of that's the sort of action that I love. Like that that the double screen mm-hmm. with Dwight. I think that's the we talked about this on the live show a little bit. Like I just don't think the straight one five pick and roll with Kemba and Dwight is going to work all the time. I think if you do stuff like that where it's a double and it's a twist, so Kemba goes one way, slides back the other, and then you know you look weak side for, for mm-hmm. Monk either on the, the catch-and-shoot bomb or if they close out hard, then he can hit him with the blow-by and he finished well at the rim too. But So that's the kind of stuff, especially with Batum out, like the more of that, the better. It just might be – I don't know if they have all the pieces to be able to run that all the time. Although I do think it's interesting seeing them use J-O-B – even though it's just a preseason game, is sort of a like sort of stretchy big, which is something we kind of saw a little bit um, in summer league. Yeah, summer, yeah, yeah. Richie, I'm just now seeing that. Um, I just checked your Twitter feed. I missed that last night, but I mean that's that's modern day NBA action right yeah. there, especially when you got a guy like Kimball Walker. So I mean, if they can manufacture th- you know action that even somewhat mimics that on a consistent basis, um, you know, I think that's special for the Hornets and it opens up some stuff. Um, it utilizes a lot of Dwight Howard's strengths. I mean, you see him here. He sets a pretty good screen. He seals off the five, and it creates everything at the rim for Monk. So, All right, so I think we've covered most of it. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? We kind of just wanted to come on here and just knock out as many uh, important factors behind this injury news uh, as possible. Anything else, guys? Um, I would just want to – just real quickly, let me lump something in this. This is just how – like we – I think we get frustrated with Nick at times – because of the defense and the the sort of awkward closeouts, and it, well, I don't think it's something to bang him for, but sort of this like lack of a of score mentality on offense when when maybe the Hornets have needed him to score eighteen, nineteen a game. He's more of a fourteen point scorer or whatever. But I was just look, playing around with filters on on Basketball Reference yesterday. Uh, Batum was one of five players in the NBA last season, six seven or taller, that had a usage rate above twenty percent an assist rate above 25%. Uh, the other four players are pretty damn good. LeBron James, Giannis, Nikolai Jokic, and Boogie Cousins. Th- that had, again, usage rate above 20%, assist rate above 25%, that were six, seven or taller in the NBA last season. And if you go back over the last five seasons, so starting with the 2012-2013 season, all the way through the 2017 season, uh, Nick Batum, one of only five players uh, to have a season with a usage rate above 20%, an assist rate above 25%, and make at least 100 three-pointers. Uh, the only guys to do that in the last five years 
Nick Batum, DeMarcus Cousins, Paul Pierce, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James. Uh, those five guys have combined to do that nine times. And Nick Batum and LeBron are the only guys that have done it multiple times. LeBron's done it four times. Nick Batum's done it twice. So he's he's a special player. Yeah. And it may be frustrating at times, but you that the the those sort of numbers show you how important his shooting is, his playmaking is. Now, I mean, really, he's the second option on offense and also the team's best passer. And it, yeah, it's tough to it's tough to just pluck him off the court and you know, replace him with someone like Jeremy Lamb that's probably around replacement level, maybe a little bit better than that, and just assume that the machine's going to keep humming. It's going to be tough, but, uh, you know, they'll have to rely on the defense, and hopefully Kemba's got some superhero, you know, <laughs> moments ready to go at the start of the season, man. <laughs> it's going to be tough for Charlotte. Um, we hope that they can keep their head above water and obviously hope that Batum can be back, uh, you know, sometime this season and, and help this team make a run. For the playoffs, it would it would be very very interesting with the roster is currently constructed and what happened in the off season if this team missed the playoffs. So, hoping for the best. Good stuff, guys. Um, all right, so we will be back probably. Uh, we won't be back this week, um, Richie, but we'll be back. Well, you guys will be back right. the week after. I, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I mentioned it last episode, but I am getting married next Saturday, so I'm going to be out for the next two weeks. But I know that Richie and Brian uh, are well suited. To, to hold down the fort, uh, take you guys in, and, and, and keep, keep everything covered as the season begins. Um, injury news is terrible, but we're still excited for Hornets basketball to be back. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Don't forget, we are a member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Uh, check out almightyballer.com uh, for all NBA team podcasts, fantasy podcasts, you name it, they got it. Uh, and Sports Channel 8, go check them out, sportschannel8.com. Follow them on Twitter at Sports Channel 8 if you haven't already. Thank you for listening. We are Buzzbeat Radio. First Spencer, that's Richie, that's Brian. See you guys next time.